Can you remember a time when you thought someone you disagreed with might actually be right? In the new podcast, You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen pose that question to guests like Paul Ryan, Al Gore, and Judy Woodruff. Come for the stories, stay for the substance and expert insights into some of the most challenging issues facing the country, including affordable housing, crime, and education. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available wherever you get your podcasts. Sometimes our commander-in-chief, ideally upholder of the law, fails to inspire us. Take the 1970s. Well, I'm not a crook. Or the 90s. I did not have sexual relations with that woman. And now the 21st century. I'm an extremely stable genius. You're about to hear two attorneys make sense out of a legal system some say is a train wreck. Here are Royal Oaks and Connor Oaks. This is Too Many Lawyers. This is Too Many Lawyers. I'm Royal Oaks. And I'm Connor Oaks. So it is Sunday, January 10 of the Riot at the Capitol was last Wednesday, January 6th. People have had a few days to let it sink in. And we have a bunch of questions we'd like to plow through. Um, Question number one. Did Donald Trump incite a riot? Now, a lot of people think he did. The Democrats are uh, getting uh, lined up for impeachment. Professor Turley, uh, the uh, fellow who is portrayed as being a little left of center, but he did testify, I think, on behalf of Trump at the impeachment trial. Uh, He says that the president's speech, Connor, does not meet the definition of incitement under U.S. criminal code. He said it uh, was protected speech under the First Amendment. Uh, He pinpointed one thing the Democrats, he says, failed to recognize that Trump never called for violence. He simply urged his reporters to march toward the Capitol, something that's commonplace in Washington, D.C., Any merit to the good professor's uh, opinion there? No, I think that Turley is actually probably one of the very few lawyers still willing to stick his neck out. One of the few lawyers who still has a job somewhere at the moment. Um, Well, he's a professor there at George Washington. Exactly. He's a GW professor. And he's one of the very few people actually willing to stick his neck out and say ridiculous pro-Trump stuff that doesn't make any sense and keep up the sort of narrative uh, that Trump has actual legal defenses, um, that he, you know, was maybe towing the line or being careful with what he was saying. Everyone else who saw the video knows exactly what Trump said. Trump said, if you don't fight like hell, you're not going to have a country anymore. He said, I'm going to be with you as we walk down this boulevard here and we're going to, you know, give him what for. And then Giuliani gets up there. Trial by combat. And says the words trial by combat. And Don Jr. gets up there and says, we're never going to stop fighting. I mean, these are fighting words and they're inciting a crowd to go fight. And then the crowd goes and fights. And of course, uh, the Trumps have all gotten it back into their black uh, SUV and driven away never to actually have the protesters Mm. backs, protesters, rioters backs. So, yeah, this is not uh, a close case. Turley is wrong. This is not protected speech. Uh, as others have pointed out, this is, this is like uh, a Coke CEO being uh, you know, voted out by the board of directors or, or, or in threat of it. And so he incites a bunch of Coca-Cola uh, workers to, to charge over the barricades at the Coca-Cola headquarters in Atlanta and try to attack the board of directors before mm-hmm. they can remove him. And then the, he still keeps his job. He's got to go. He's a threat to the existence of our country. And of course, people who are you know sane and have thought about this in the legal uh, uh, legal world uh, are are coming to that agreement that he's got to go. And the decision is really between impeachment or the 25th Amendment. Well, when you say it's not a close case, I mean, my personal opinion is that Donald Trump, based on his uh, mental state at this point, probably hoped that there would be violence of some kind at the Capitol uh, and expected that there might be. As to whether his words would convict him in a court of law, and of course it's hard to be objective and and totally fair-minded when everybody has super strong opinions about Donald Trump, but as to whether those words, if you just sort of strip away uh, the uh, emotion of of, of the Trumpism, I don't know, because as, as Turley pointed out, he didn't literally call for violence. I mean, the trial by combat comes closer. But even that, I mean, you know, what, what specifically 
were the speakers urging these people to do? I, I just wonder if I mean, they at the were end of the them, day it would necessarily result in a conviction. They were urging them to do exactly what they did. I, I, there's, there's really no argument that this, uh, that this uh, march on the Capitol and then forceful entry into the Capitol uh, you know, if if they if they had used if the pro, if the rioters had used the gallows that they set up outside, if they had used the zip tie handcuffs that they had brought, presumably to uh, kidnap uh, and harm senators, uh, representatives, uh, aides, other employees of the, of the federal government, if they'd used those, then you could make an argument that oh, Trump didn't want them to actually kill anybody. Trump just wanted them to damage property, scare some people, go where they're not legally allowed to go, and shout a lot. But they did all those things. And five people are dead. A, a woman, one of the rioters, tried to climb over a barricade into a room uh, in, into the barrels of, of multiple guns, mm-hmm. and one of them went off. I mean, probably intentionally, although you can never know with these guns, uh, being pointed at everybody in the middle of a riot. But when you climb over a barricade into a room where people are pointing guns at you and saying, don't climb over this barricade. And then you've got, not that I'm saying she deserved it. Nobody you know, deserves to get shot over you know, property damage here. But like this is, when you start climbing over a barricade into a room you know, secured by uh, Capitol Police or, or Secret Service agents or whoever it was who actually pulled the trigger, you're, not, you're no longer making it a, a matter of, uh, of property damage and, and where you're allowed to shout. This is very different than something like Raphael Warnock, who uh, went viral, of course, after having just won a Senate seat. A video of him being arrested for praying in the rotunda for uh, the cause he was advocating for. It was basically like a Black Lives Matter type protest. He and some others were standing in the rotunda praying loudly together and chanting and saying, you know, we are going to make a difference in the world. And the Capitol Police handcuff him and, and drag him away. That is, is action, right? That is direct action on behalf of black lives. What this, this riot represented is so much more than what anyone would consider direct action. It was a riot and it, it, it put lives at risk and it didn't just put them at risk. It, it ended multiple lives. I mean, we're talking about five people dead here. Now, some of those people are, are you know, rioters who are trying to steal a painting and uh, is carrying a, a, a very dangerous weapon, in this case, a taser. Uh, and he uh, is dangerous, as evidenced by the fact that he tased himself in the testicles and had a heart attack. That's not a joke. He tased himself in the testicles and had a heart attack while trying to steal a painting off a wall. Now, was this a healthy guy? I don't know. Probably not. But tasers are dangerous weapons, and this, among many other weapons that people were carrying at the Capitol, uh, followed up by, of course, the threats at both the Democratic National Committee and the Republican National Committee headquarters, where pipe bombs were recovered by police. But this this is not a, a, a Democrat or Republican issue. This is a group of people who are loyal to President Trump, who uh, are, are loyal to the subset of Republicans who are still loyal to President Trump and are threatening violence and death on everyone else involved in our American political system. And this this was not something that you, you couldn't see coming, you couldn't predict. This was something that, as you pointed out, Trump probably wanted exactly what happened to happen. Did he want five people to die? No. But it's the logical conclusion of what he wanted to happen, which kind of was, made me think of his comments over the years uh, about uh, criminal defendants and don't be too nice to them. <clears throat> he said, you know, you know, yeah. you're kind of making sure their head doesn't bang on the right. card. Don't be too nice to them. Yeah. I think that that's the way. I, that's I the think way you're right, operates. and that's how he that's how he thinks about business deals, and that's how he thinks about politics. All he thinks about is power and who has it, and when he has it, he thinks I'm the president. He he basically is the serious version of that Simpsons quote where they tell Lisa Simpson, who's the president, she, they say, uh, uh, you know, you get five secret assassinations if you, while you're president. If you don't use them, you lose them. I mean, he thinks that that's how the world works, right? He thinks that people in power get to do whatever they want and there should be no consequences for what they do. So he incites a riot and sticks it on the entire line of succession. I mean, that, that, is, that is what he did. He, he didn't say, go protest uh, somewhere, uh, you know, far away from people's, where, where people's lives and livelihoods are on the, uh, he didn't say go to the national they went to the room. They went to the room where Nancy and uh, Mike Pence were hanging out. Right. With zip ties and they built a gal, uh, zip tie cuffs and they built a gallows out front. And 
Okay. Thinking about this is the line of succession in American politics. These are the people who would take over if Trump is impeached. If they're all dead, Trump has a much stronger, easier case for saying I'm president for life. Kiefer Sutherland was the designated survivor, I think. Yes, and hopefully the the secretary of of agriculture or whatever was safe in a sequestered location. So we've sorted through whether uh, Trump's going to be charged with incitement uh, to riot or whether he's guilty. Uh, Question two, uh, 25th Amendment. How would it work? Was it ever really a possibility? Are the Democrats still thinking about it? So uh, everybody's been following this 25th Amendment drama recently, so that generally you know that under the Constitution, mm-hmm. uh, if a president appears to be not uh, all there, not able to fulfill the duties of his job. Unable to discharge the, the duties, of, duties the of the office. There is an option, and here's the option. The vice president and a majority of the president's cabinet have to write a letter to the Congress saying, whoa, this guy does not uh, is not uh, hitting on all cylinders, so the VP should get the power. Right. And he can push back, but if they, they write another letter, then it's up to both houses of Congress, Senate and the House, by two-thirds vote to take the power from the president and give it to the vice president. Now, right. that was sort of on the table several days ago after after the riots. I, I think Democrats are moving more toward impeachment. Um, there is a little inside baseball clause in the Constitution that says, well, if the cabinet and the VP aren't going to do this, of course, they're the most loyal people on the planet, then Congress may appoint a special body, some sort of blue ribbon commission mm-hmm. to make the same recommendation. But again, it's two-thirds of the Senate and House. Uh, do you think that ship has sailed, uh, Connor, and, and the uh, Democrats' focus is strictly on impeachment now? No, I think uh, the, there's no reason why these two uh, removal processes can't be pursued in parallel tracks. And I think that pressure can be applied to Republicans to do what they must do to save the country, not just for the next two weeks, but for the future, to demonstrate that this sort of uh, use of violence against your political enemies must have consequences. Yeah, but whereas the House, and we'll get to the details on impeachment, the House could, you know, in the next couple of days, impeach him. Right. Uh, it's so cumbersome to do the 25th Amendment route. I mean, really, is more than half of the cabinet, especially after Chow and Betsy DeVos, those paragons of integrity, have now left? Are the remainder, a majority of them, and Mike Pence going to go for this? And if not, is the Congress really going to have time to say, oh, my gosh, I guess we can't appoint this special body. Let's do it by Thursday and have them vote. Yeah. I mean, is, is Look, that really worth the Democrats' time? The it is every moment of it is valuable time because every moment of it is contributing to saving the republic and conf- uh, confirming that there are consequences to the use of violence against your political enemies. This is the Republicans confirmed a Supreme Court uh, justice eight days before the election. I mean, they 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 got their butts in gear and they people can move quickly when they, they need to. They they moved quickly when they needed to. They realized they had plenty of time uh, to do this as long as they didn't listen to anybody's objections and just. Uh, pushed forward because they had the votes. And that's the question. Do they have the votes? I hear, but, yeah, but what about the, the timing issue? Whereas the 25th Amendment, I think it kind of goes away the minute Trump leaves. Yeah, it doesn't make much sense right. to be removing and, and, the president. And some people say that the whole impeachment thing doesn't make sense either, but I think it's on the table. Yeah. Uh, and, and why don't we go to that? That'll be topic number three yeah, right so now. Topic three is impeachment. Right. What about the idea that the Democrats, of course, can impeach him before January 20? A howsoever, the idea of having a trial and a two-thirds vote to uh, to get rid of him before the twentieth doesn't seem to be really in the cards logistically, especially since the Congress they have to be brought specially back into session uh, because the Senate is now due uh, to come back into session only right around the twentieth. But then that raises the question: What about having a trial after Trump leaves? Right. And it sounds like, for the scholars are sort of mulling this over, it sounds like it's possible. Oh, yeah, I, to, to do that. I think the consensus. Is, I mean, there are of course some people who say it somehow doesn't make sense or or can't be supported Moot. in the Constitution, somehow mooted. I mean, the Constitution does provide this process, but it doesn't lay out every hypothetical, well, what if the president is impeached on the last day of his office? Can you have a trial the day after that? It doesn't say that, and you have to interpret that. But it makes sense that you'd be able to do that because an impeachment trial has consequences, not just that he'd be impeached by the House, sent to the Senate, convicted by the Senate, and removed from office. There's more than that. It's also that he doesn't get his $200,000 a year presidential pension for the rest of his life, that he doesn't get uh, government to pay for his security detail for the rest of his life that could, you know, should absolutely be more than $200,000 a year. Uh, and there are a bunch of other uh, benefits you get as an ex-president that you don't get if you're impeached by the House and convicted by the Senate. And 
maybe more important than a couple of zeros on the balance sheet of America that no one will ever notice, uh, you know, in terms of Trump's pension that we'd like to symbolically remove from him. The more important symbol is the idea that you can't do whatever you want as president in the last two weeks, uh, knowing that you're safe from impeachment and conviction because there's just no time to do it. Now, what if he had, you know, committed other high crimes and misdemeanors just on his way out, knowing I'm safe, I can uh, I can break uh, election uh, law and I can, uh, you know, uh, Incite riot. Incite riot. I mean, you're I'm trying to come up with something bad. There's nothing he could do worse than incite violence against his political enemies and lead well, people to death. What about that person on Fifth Avenue that he's going to he shoot, shoot dead? Him. He yeah. shot five people, effectively. Well, he tasered one of them in the testicles. But he killed five people by inciting this, this riot. And, I mean... There's there's nothing worse than that you could he could lead us into some sort of war without justification in order to lever you know pull the levers of political power. I think he's worse than George W. But so but let's not get there. Let's not go there. Let's not go. There. So uh, when we come back, we're going to talk about question number three, which is uh, does the Senate have the power to actually disqualify Trump from ever running for president again? Uh, but first, Connor's going to tell you how to rate and subscribe to many lawyers. In these uh, uh, wild times, it might slip your mind uh, to <laughs> check the uh, check the app store and uh, leave us a, a little note describing how much you, you love hearing our uh, sultry voices and uh, to leave us a rating uh, if it's stars or points or whatever else depending on your your app whether it's stitcher spotify podcast addict or the apple podcast app uh, we appreciate every comment we appreciate every rating and if you want to share uh, the pod and send it to your friends uh, we'd really appreciate that too stick with us on too many lawyers Buckle up, folks. The Car Pro Show podcast is here to rescue you from the doldrums of everyday life. And you can find it on iHeart, Apple, Spotify, or wherever your podcast cravings take you. What do we have here, Doctor? Looks like yet another case of the Car Pro Show podcast giddies. Do you concur? I concur. And it's spreading like wildfire. I know, but the podcast is so powerful. Jerry and Kevin dish out all the juicy car news from the Car Pro Friends universe. They review and chat about the latest car lineups from all the big players in the industry. And they take live calls to help steer car buyers in the right direction. It's highly addictive and impossible to shake. Do we alert the press? Are you crazy? If more people discover the Car Pro Show podcast and its cornucopia of car curriculum, this thing will spiral out of control. <laughs> Listen to the Car Pro Show on iHeart, Apple, Spotify, or wherever your podcast desires take you. Brought to you by CarPro.com, where you now have a friend in the car buying business. CarPro.com <laughs> The Car Pro Show podcast is available on iHeart, Apple, and Spotify. I can't take my husband anywhere. He's constantly behaving like a five-year-old, snorting, joking, yapping with strangers. It's so embarrassing. But the one period when he's fully engrossed in anything is if he's listening to the Car Pro Show podcast. Here they are now on the Car Pro Show. He gets to hear Jerry and Kevin share all the latest and greatest news and information about the CarPro Friends universe, reviews and commentary on all the newer vehicle lineups from every major brand, stories and testimonials about ultimate car buying experiences through CarPro.com, and certified CarPro Friends at dealers nationwide. My only regret is when this two-hour break from you-know-who ends. Save yourself! Grab some me time by tuning into the CarPro Show podcast on your device anytime, anywhere. Listen to the CarPro Show on iHeart, Apple, and Spotify. Or wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by CarPro.com, where you now have a friend in the car buying business. CarPro.com. This is Too Many Lawyers. I'm Royal Oaks. And I'm still Connor Oaks. We're sorting through about 10 questions that are raised by uh, the amazing events of the last week or so. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've talked about whether Donald Trump uh, might be uh, indicted for, convicted of uh, incitement to riot. We've talked about the 25th Amendment versus impeachment options. So now question four. May the United States Senate vote to disqualify Donald Trump from ever running for president again? So here's the context. Uh, uh the impeachment article uh, is going to be introduced, I think, in the next couple of days. Uh, it's going to go forward. The grounds are going to be, of course, his phone call to the Georgia Secretary of State. And, oh, by the way, inciting a riot. Mm-hmm. Uh, the timing is challenging. The House isn't in session, nor is the Senate. Uh, so it's not really set to be in session for a while. Pelosi is going to call him in, though. Um, 
And so uh, what it would be the point of impeaching him, really, uh, other than a symbolic point? Well, here's, here's a, an intriguing angle. Uh, the Senate, under the Constitution, has the right to permanently disqualify a person from ever holding any federal office. Right. And in U.S. history, about 20 people have been impeached, including three presidents. Only 11 have been convicted or resigned. If convicted, the Senate then has the power to decide on a sanction. And the Constitution says one of the sanctions is you may remove somebody from office and disqualify them from future service. Right. Now, which has been done to judges in the past because right. you go through the same sort of a process with judges. You uh, impeach them and remove them from office. And in fact, good point about the judges because that raises a question about what it would take to disqualify. We know it would take a two-thirds vote to actually convict and remove from office even though he's already out of office. But a majority vote is all that has been necessary on several occasions in U.S. history to disqualify these bad guy judges from further federal service. And so the question is, uh, is that going to hold up in court, the Senate's right to disqualify Donald Trump? Uh, The Constitution doesn't say what kind of vote that's required, so it's a little bit vague, but these judges, some of them have been disqualified by majority vote. So that's going to raise a question. Do the Democrats want to engineer this? Um, Do they want to essentially banish Donald Trump from the political world or would in the course of him fighting this through the through the courts, would he look like some sort of a martyr? And would the Democrats look like bad guys for taking away from the power of the American voter the ability to say yes or no to Donald Trump? Yeah, it it makes it a slightly more interesting political question, Um, although I am loathe to talk about the political expediency of horrific, immoral uh, moves, um, we might think uh, that the, say you're a smart, sane Republican who is afraid that if you, uh, if you vote for um, conviction in the Senate and thus removal of Trump from office, either the day before he leaves office or the day after, who knows, that this will split the Republican Party. Say that you think that this will be the end of the Republicans, that this will be like the Whigs, right. uh, that the, the Trumpers will split off and form their own political party, that 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 uh, you know Trump will try to run for them uh, in 2024, and the, the Democrats will hold uh, single control of, of the government for the rest of eternity. Um, say you're really, really worried about that, and you want Republicans to win, and you're worried that if Trump gets a nomination again, Trump uh, Trump will destroy the- uh, Or if he's viable. If he's viable, or yeah, and just in the viable- Because either he's going to win the nomination in 2024 and go down in flames, because right. everybody knows he can't win in 2024, That's or he is going to try, right. he's going to lose, yeah. and some chunk, whether it's 10%, or 30% or 70% of his 74 million voters are going to be so angry they they're won't sitting vote it out. For Republican and we know that the margin of error in politics is so right. small yeah. that any <laughs> chunk, whether it's 5% or 20% or 30% of, of Trump supporters sitting out, would doom the Republicans. Right. We even hear about the impact of the black vote somehow splintering a little bit. And instead of going, say, 84, 85% right. for Democrats. Yeah, black men, yeah. Uh, only to 79 right. or 76 or whatever. If, if the, so some this Republican is 5% reject. of black men, which yeah. is a tiny slice and, of the American And political electorate. scientists say if the Republicans could do that somehow, yeah. it would be fatal yeah. to a vast number of Democrats' hopes, in, including the presidency. So, so you're right. That's the scenario. That's, that's, that's the future the is at stake. Right. And so if you say to that Republican, the air quotes, sane Republican who somehow has uh, not found his voice until uh, today, uh, now, um, 2020, January 2020. It's a little late, buddy, but but let's imagine that he exists. Um, And then he says uh, to himself, this is the only way to save the Republican Party. You can imagine that it might be easier for that Senate Republican to vote for uh, impeachment and conviction and say to his constituency, look, I was on board with the baby cages and I was on board with the Muslim ban and I was on board with uh, everything else that he's done that's so ba- terrible. Baby cages where they're literally baby cages? Yeah, yeah absolutely. I think baby babies, size cages. The babies were, were with older people. Uh, so they, uh, <laughs> so they, uh, 
I was fine with all that. But when he incited a riot against his political enemies and told them to go fight and uh, Giuliani said trial by combat and then the riot happened and a bunch of senators were in danger of death and five people did die, that was too much. And therefore, we're going to kick him out. And having him barred from the 2024 elections might actually improve the political standing of Republicans and allow the Republicans to unite around some boring milk figure like Mike, uh, Pence? Mike Pence or Mitt Romney or something else. And maybe- Marco Rubio? Yeah. I mean, it's never going to be Are Mitt Romney. Are you forgetting Ted Cruz? Uh, so all these people, uh, yeah, these these Trumpers like Marco Rubio um, or Mike Pence who who avoid somehow the stain uh, uh, of of. Trump's legacy and instead pretend to be mainstream politicians for long enough uh, to win the nomination in 2024. So so when you said a few minutes ago, you're loath to talk about the political expediency of the horrible actions. I mean, to be realistic, don't you think politicians on both sides of the aisle are thinking exactly about the political expediency? Don't you think the Democrats are thinking we are not going to go forward against Donald Trump in a certain way just because it's the right thing to do? It's because we want to have a political advantage. We want to crush and, and divide the Republicans and have a, have a permanent victory. And don't you think the Republicans are saying, we're going to take actions and take votes to assure the fact that we'll survive and live in, in yeah, the future, I, I, as opposed to let's purely just put it in a computer and let the computer spit out what is the right thing to do about Donald Trump. I yeah, mean, uh, these are political animals, of right? Of course. Everybody's a political animal and everybody well, has but, multiple- But politicians are even more political than yes, the rest of us. absolutely. And uh, I mean, everybody in politics is a political animal. And of course, everyone's decision is is uh, informed by multiple motivations. I want what's best for the country and I want uh, these bad people that I hate on the other side of the aisle uh, to get theirs. The, that Those are, are two you know, driving motivations. The problem is that Donald Trump's motivations are 99.9%. I want them to you know, be punished and me to succeed. And, and 0.1%, I want what's good for America. Uh, Donald Trump would obviously trade what's good for America, he has many times, for what's good for Donald Trump. Nancy Pelosi, I don't know what her percentage split is, but guess what? If you're a politician in America, an establishment politician, especially in America, you're a sociopath. Every politician is a sociopath, but it's about the percentage of sociopathic tendencies that are mixed in to your, like, what percentage is it megalomania? What percentage is it, uh, uh, you know, power hungriness? What percentage is it wanting to be famous? What percentage is it wanting to improve the world? What percentage is it wanting to make your dad proud of you? What percentage is it all these things that you mix and swirl in there? Who knows? But you're right. It's definitely a swirl of everything. And there's no reason to try to separate it out because it would be like trying to separate out uh, you know what is the what is, what are what are the motivations of the CEO of Uber for trying to disrupt the taxi industry and crush his competitor Lyft by hacking their uh, servers and and screwing up their their riders and their drivers um, and uh, conducting evil PR campaigns that smash the other companies. Is it to make money for the shareholders? Is it to self-aggrandize? Is it to make them rich? Who cares? We can zoom out and we can say, is Uber good for the country? Is the Republican Party good for the country? And we can balance those things out. And it doesn't really matter what the motivations of these uh, politicians are because it's impossible to know anyway. We can just see the outcomes and say, oh, yeah, Trump is bad for the country in every possible way. Connor, I just noticed uh, somebody just just deleted your Uber app from your iPhone. That's that's weird. (laughs) I didn't know they were that smarter on top of it. Interesting. Question, question number five. May Donald Trump run for president again, even if he's convicted of a felony? Now, you know, the financial crimes uh, are out there, the allegations that he may be charged with something, might be convicted. And uh, uh, it's interesting. Uh, I looked a little into this. The Constitution does not bar somebody from running for president just because he's a convicted felon. It's God you bless be, America. Got to be 35. And yeah. of course, by 35, a lot of people have felonies on the record anyway. That's true these days. Natural born. You got to be a resident of the United States. By the way, who knows what natural born means? <laughs> it's like a Shakespearean. If you have a C-section, I'm sorry, you're out. Yep, that's right. Doesn't count. Uh, and all it says is that at plus two terms max. You know, yeah, I mean, and he's even asked more than that. If you serve one term less than two years because you came in late because of some tragedy or whatever, you right. get to have two more terms. But nothing. Could about Gerald Ford have gone a for a, a, a multiple terms? He came in after. So Agnew 
resigns. Mm-hmm. Nixon's VP, Agnew, resigns. Gerald, no, Ford, Gerald, gets, Gerald Ford came in in uh, August of 1974, and as a result, he had more uh, than half of Nixon's okay. second term. Bummer. Yeah. So anyway. But he so didn't even he, run, so, so we can't what even What do you know. think of that, Connor? Do you think it's feasible to see Donald Trump, uh, let's say they proceed on financial crimes and they get a conviction as felony and he gets out for good time? I don't uh, think. I don't back, th- he, he's in the game again? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I don't think it would stick. I mean, a, the the Constitution is, is very specific, as you just described, about the things that disqualify you from being president. Uh, having a con- felony conviction um on your record is not good, but there are lots of there are lots of worse things that should disqualify you from being the president. That if we were going to make an exception to the Constitution and say that there was some sort of unwritten rule in the Constitution uh, that prevented you from being the president because you had you know done bad thing X Y or Z, uh, it wouldn't be just generically have a felony for financial misdeeds on your criminal record. It would have to be bigger than that, really. I mean, we want people to have you know a chance to come back into society, way back, uh, way back into the good graces of of, of the American uh, electorate. And after they've you know committed felonies and then done their time for them, I don't think there's anything specifically about that. They're, the Democrats might squawk and say that this should be a reason you wouldn't vote for him. That's a legitimate argument. But to say that he's actually disqualified, I can't can't imagine uh, that they would even. Uh, try that. They've got so many other ways that they could say that he's not qualified to be the president. They don't need to go with he, you know, burgled from the shareholders. We know he burgled from the shareholders. Everybody knows he burgled from the shareholders. When we come back, question six, did Twitter have the right to ban Donald Trump for life? And was it a bad idea? Stick with us on Too Many Lawyers. I'm Chris Hahn, the Aggressive Progressive. Check out a new episode of the Aggressive Progressive podcast every Tuesday. You know, the election is heating up just as the year is winding down. Stick with me. I'll tell you the truth as I see it. Download the Aggressive Progressive on Pandora or wherever you get your podcasts. The Car Pro Show podcast is available on iHeart, Apple, and Spotify. I can't take my husband anywhere. He's constantly behaving like a five-year-old, snorting, joking, yapping with strangers. It's so embarrassing. But the one period when he's fully engrossed in anything is if he's listening to the Car Pro Show podcast. Here they are now on the Car Pro Show. He gets to hear Jerry and Kevin share all the latest and greatest news and information about the CarPro Friends universe, reviews and commentary on all the newer vehicle lineups from every major brand, stories and testimonials about ultimate car buying experiences through CarPro.com, and certified CarPro Friends at dealers nationwide. My only regret is when this two-hour break from you-know-who ends. Save yourself! Grab some me time by tuning into the CarPro Show podcast on your device anytime, anywhere. Listen to the CarPro Show on iHeart, Apple, and Spotify. Or wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by CarPro.com, where you now have a friend in the car buying business. CarPro.com. This is Too Many Lawyers. I'm Royal Oaks. I'm Sil Connors. So Twitter, uh, which has been Donald Trump's oxygen for the last four or five years. Yeah. Uh, they have banned him for life because of uh, the whole situation involving in the Capitol. And so uh, did they have the right to do that? And was it a good or bad idea? Now, people talk about the First Amendment. And, of course, folks say, well, the First Amendment, we've read it carefully. It's not applicable to Twitter, really, because it only says the government shall not interfere with free speech and so on. But uh, is it enough that it's a public forum? It, it enjoys immunity from suit under the famous federal law that everybody's talking about. Uh, a professor at Harvard Law School, uh, Noah Feldman, has, has weighed in uh, on this issue. Let me tell what he says and get your take, Connor. He says, there is no right to free speech on Twitter. The only rule is that Twitter Inc. gets to decide who speaks and listens, which is its right under the First Amendment. If Twitter wants to block Trump, it can. If Trump wants to block followers, he can. Trump's account can't be designated a public forum uh, because it isn't public at all. Trump's account is a stream of communication. (laughs) I'm glad they said the stream of communication as opposed to something else. Other streams, yeah. That's wholly owned by Twitter, a private company with First Amendment rights of its own. So before we get to the question of whether it was smart or whether they overreached. Uh, do you agree with the the professor from Harvard? Yeah, I mean, the legal analysis here is pretty uh, is is pretty straightforward. I think that that most people would agree that um, 
the First Amendment is specifically about government action, that it restricts the government from doing things that that uh, impede uh, people's free speech um, or people's speech, and that thus free speech is free. It doesn't prevent you um, from uh, as a as a private business or a private individual from regulating the kind of speech that someone uses uh, in your home, in your business, uh, or on uh, on your platform. It is like Twitter. It, it would be like if 7-Eleven banned Donald Trump for repeated violations of its no, sure, no shirts, no shoes, no service policy. This is a policy that governs how the customers or users of a business must comport themselves. And if you didn't have this concept that companies could restrict uh, the speech of the customers, uh, it would be like it would uh, therefore allow people to, uh, you know, organize uh, uh, hate speech or hate group um, rallies and violent action on your platform, and you'd have no recourse. Um, you could have Nazis deciding how that they how they were going to, uh, uh, you know, go out and harm people uh, on your platform, which they have for years and was ignored and was literally done. In this case, this riot was. You know, it was planned and 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 you know, crowd uh, crowdsourced in terms of information and planning and all this stuff on social media platforms, and they did nothing about it. And of course, they now regret that, and they're trying to sort of go back and undo that. But it is mandatory that you allow people uh, to have a, a, a no shirts, no shoes, no service policy in your place of business, so that. People have to wear shoes. We don't all get your fungus, toe fungus infections. Okay, I mean that's just you have to have rules. You have to allow people to create rules. Now, a lot of people are analogizing this actually to the uh, gay couple wanting a wedding cake from a baker who has a religious objection and refuses mm-hmm. it. Uh, and they say, "Well, conservatives, you are all about individual choice." Uh, and and uh, the, for the for the company to be able to regulate their business and who they do business with uh, before and now that it's your guy Donald Trump and Twitter instead of a bakery you're unhappy and I don't love that uh, I understand the analogy and it does point out the uh, it it is you know valuable in that it points out the hypocrisy of the people who will just jump from one side of the issue to the other based on who is the victim perceived victim in this scenario but there's something very different about saying. Uh, you know, a, a gay couple's right to get married or participate in society in the process of having a wedding and, you know, patronizing businesses that are open to the public in the process of, 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 of you know, having a wedding compared to uh, the desire of somebody to go online and incite a riot. So, it's very different. The wedding and the riot is the difference in that scenario. And equating them is dangerous because then suddenly they're going to go, okay, well, let's exclude gays then because you know companies don't have to serve right. people that they don't like. So uh, second question uh, on this Twitter issue. Yeah. Was it a, a dopey idea for Twitter to ban him for life? Does that play into Trump's hands because it makes him look like a martyr? Uh, it allows him to say, look, I get uh, trying to keep the temperature down right after the riots. Maybe, you know, ban me for a month if you want to make some stupid decision, but for life. I mean, doesn't that kind of play into his hands? You know, a lot of folks right of center are very critical of these giant media conglomerates that are perceived, uh, Facebook and so on, as being harder on consumers conservatives in terms of censorship and so on. Uh, so, I mean, do you think it was smart for them to ban him for life? Yeah, I do, because I think that you're not just like the audience for your actions is not just those fake aggrieved conservatives who are claiming that they're silenced on Twitter and it's just so bad that the conservatives are are, are censored. When it's not true, your, your audience is everybody. Your audience is everybody who sees that leftists are also banned on Twitter unju- you know, unjustly because bans on Twitter get handed out all the frickin' time and that, you know, People are censored in their public speech all the frickin' time for bad reasons because Twitter is making business decisions. The big picture, the audience is everybody, and if you ban Trump for life, you're giving a, a, a big thumbs up to the sane, rational humans of the world to say Twitter is a safe place to come. Twitter is a place where we actually have a, a free, you know, uh, flowing uh, marketplace of ideas that the conservatives love so much. It's the paradox of tolerance, the famous paradox of tolerance that philosophers have been writing about for a really long time, the concept that 
in order to have a tolerant space, you must be intolerant of intolerance. You must be intolerant of fascists and of those who would seek to uh, uh, excise public speech from uh, from politics and instead, you know, consolidate absolute power. You cannot have a a, a a fair, a, a nice conversation with a Nazi who wants to kill you and silence you uh, and, and, and burn books and all the rest because they will ruin the marketplace of ideas. So you must be intolerant of the intolerant in order to maintain tolerance. It's like the use of violence in a state. You must use or threaten to use violence in order to keep order. That's what the existence of the police and the army is all about. And so what people say, well, you want a peaceful society, but you have cops and, and the army. It's, it's a paradox, but it's not an unsolvable paradox because in order to maintain this marketplace of ideas or a safe society, you have to be intolerant of certain people. And banning Donald Trump and his the army of, of Russian bots and trolls and, uh, and uh, idiots who threaten violence on people on Twitter is a big message to the Twitter user base. It says, come back or stay and it's going to be okay. We're a good place to be. Nobody's jumping over to parlor because nobody wants to live in a troll infested nightmares hellscape. And therefore, they're going to go to the place that bans the evil fascist guy. Question number eight. Did Donald Trump cause the Georgia Senate losses and did he care? I'll give you my take and uh, interested in your thoughts, Connor. Yes, he caused it. Uh, He said the election was rigged. So a lot of uh, people in the Republican Party didn't bother to vote. He promoted this, oh, 2000 bucks for everybody instead of 600. So he hurt the Republicans image and he distracted. He appeared in rallies there, even though Georgia had voted against him. They'd voted basically four of the two Republicans. If you add up all the Republican votes, the Republicans were ahead uh, by and large. And and you know, the Democrats didn't exactly have the strongest candidates. Uh, Reverend um, Warnock had, had these quotes out there that were endlessly repeated that Georgians in general wouldn't like, such as, you cannot serve God and the military at the same time. Oh, is that going to sell in Georgia, really? And, you know, Fidel Castro's uh, legacy, it was complex, just like America's legacy is complex. Uh, you know, regardless of what you think about these opinions, Georgia, excuse me, is this really going to sell? So Donald Trump kicked it away. Did he care? No, he just wanted to punish M- Mitch McConnell and other Republicans for not supporting him during the two-month tirade to uh, turn the election around. Democratic control uh, to dismantle his legacy, he doesn't care about that because his legacy is unimportant to him because he has no ideology. You were saying earlier in the podcast, you know, maybe he has a 1% interest in doing the right thing. Point, 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 point. No, well, right. He doesn't even have point one. All he cares about is winning. The irony is, His celebrity populism saved the country from another eight years of progressivism, Hillary after Obama. So now his idiocy and his insanity will permit the Democrats to pick up where they left off in 2008, only in a much more dangerous context because of elevating progressivism to an acceptable level. I mean, the only hope now is the rejection uh, uh, in terms of the rejection of progressivism, uh, the only hope is to get Trump out of the situation. As we talked about earlier, if he's still around in 2024, it's an automatic loss for the Republicans because either he gets the nomination and he loses or he splits the party. I mean, uh, uh, other than Trump's loss based on his personality disorder in November, the American people in November voted against progressivism. They saw defunding the police and open borders and so on, and they said no. And these same Americans are going to be voting again in two years and in four years. So uh, the bottom line is I say to Nancy and Chuck Schumer, you go, girl, uh, disqualify Donald Trump for life. That, that'd yeah. be my vote. Look, uh, setting aside the fact that we disagree about you know, the dangers of, of, of accelerating progressivism and, and the, the wildly progressive things that Hillary Clinton would have done, oh my goodness, what would she have done? She probably would have made a bunch of speeches about women's empowerment and how the glass ceiling must be broken. And she might have somehow expanded Obamacare, which was the Republicans' idea for how to do market-based health care. 
Well, it was Mitt Romney's anyway. Uh, well, the Mitt Rom- it was Mitt Romney's political play to say, don't do universal health care that's working so well around the whole world and everybody wants. Oh, no, don't do that. Oh, wait. Uh, what if we have a, a market-based solution instead? Uh, and look, see, I promise it will work in Massachusetts. Uh, and then it did work in Massachusetts. And then the Democrats have a reasonable said, OK, let's do your market-based solution here. And they and the Republicans said, that's socialism, because they you know realized that they could they had to shift the goalposts again. Look, th- there was no danger from, in my opinion, from spiraling progressivism, but that isn't really the question uh, in, in this scenario. Um, should he be disqualified from office? Sure, absolutely. But again, uh, we agree for for all different reasons uh, that he should absolutely do that. Did he throw the Georgia runoffs on purpose? Well, we can always say that it doesn't really matter whether he did it on purpose. I, I agree that he harmed the Democrat, the Republicans' chances with everything he did. He harmed their chances with the uh, the Raffensperger phone call. He harmed. Do you think their- he's clever enough to have thought if the Democrats get these two Senate seats and have total control of the government mm-hmm. and drive the government into the ground, yeah. that'll make it more uh, of a, a possibility <laughs> for me to come back in twenty twenty four? The idea that Democrats will drive the government into the ground. Like, like, or even below the ground, they'll run, like, they'll run up all the, the way to China. Like, they'll run up the, the Democrats' new friend, right? Exactly. Yeah. Look, I mean, I, I, I think that you're, you're right. I think that that it's possible that Trump had that foresight because he certainly wants to run again in 2024 because his his you know criminal convictions might be able to he might be able to drag them out and delay them until then he gets back in office he has four more years of immunity beautiful fantastic so so that's just definitely his plan or at least one of his many uh, contingency plans for how to cover his own butt um, but you know whether he wanted to do this uh, on purpose and torpedo the their chances in Georgia I don't think so um, I think that in his view. He probably thought um, his whole idea, his, his plan is that he will still be president after January 20. So his idea is like that's plan A, right? So his idea was if I win the Senate and I win a, uh, the Senate in Georgia, then the Republicans will once again come back to my side and realize uh, that it's politically expedient for them to sign on to the Trump train and they should back me. You're talking about him trying to overturn the Biden yeah, victory? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, so oh, him, is it, I mean, is it that much of a mental patient? Absolutely. He absolutely believes it. And that's why he sent uh, uh, incited a riot and then sent these rioters in to intimidate uh, and disrupt the electoral certification process. It, it, this is part of the uh, the Biden uh, ending the Biden presidency mm-hmm. before it begins plan. He wanted, uh, in part, and he's got some crazy people on his team who say, "Well, if you just got in there and you got that magical wooden box that has those uh, uh, those certificates in it, you could break the chain of custody, and then we could say we don't know what the electoral." And they'd say, "Well, you know, there's six copies of it spread around uh, D.C., and we do have copies." And they go, "Yeah, but here's our colorable argument." That the 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 process is ruined and disrupted by those pesky protesters. You know how it is, uh, and and thus we just have to have the Senate and the House vote. I mean, if he wins Georgia for the Republicans, they're going to like him more. That is indisputable, oh. right? So he tried to win Georgia for them. He failed miserably, obviously, because he doesn't actually know how to win an election. He just got lucky in 2016 and rode a wave of white supremacy and, and disgruntled people. But he. You know, is trying his darndest in Georgia, and it looks like he's throwing the election because he's actually horrible at politics. So on that, we agree the man's bad at politics, but it it was not an intentional throw in yeah, Georgia. It's hard, hard to know what was going on through his mind. Here, it's all speculation. I'm a cockeyed optimist, Connor, and here's what here's what I think is going to happen. I okay. think that uh, the Republicans are gradually, uh, by, and we'll know from the Gallup poll, yeah. uh, they're going to turn their back on Donald Trump. And the analogy I come up with is Joe McCarthy. Return mm-hmm. with us now to those thrilling days of yesteryear in the early 1950s when sure. Joe McCarthy yeah, on yeah. his <laughs> anti-communist hunt was very popular. He was Barely. about as popular as President Eisenhower. And he was a real burr under Eisenhower's saddle. And Eisenhower took a a lot of flack for not confronting him. Is and Eisenhower the him. horse in this scenario? Uh, no, Eisenhower has the horse. They're sitting on the saddle, and there's a burr under the saddle, and the burr is Joe McCarthy. But wouldn't the burr be annoying the horse? It, well, because you're sitting on the saddle, it, you don't it, notice, it, or you don't care. If the horse is annoyed, he just might throw Eisenhower. Oh, I, I think, see. I think okay, the okay. metaphor so- has gone far afield. <laughs> So here's the deal. Uh, the American public really liked McCarthy and believed in his anti-communist uh, uh, hunt. Crusade. And we were all alcoholics back then, so we were on board with that, too. A lot of people were. The, the three martini lunch and, and so on. But but here's the deal. Um, 
Uh, and the reason people were concerned about uh, communists in government is because, uh, big secret, there were a few. We now know after a lot of documents being unsealed, yes, we had the nuclear, the atomic bomb solely for a while, but only for a few years because the Russian spies got it. And then we had the H-bomb, but only for a few years because then the Russians got it. So he was on to something, but he was a demagogue and he was a vicious, hateful guy who destroyed people's lives. And yeah. guess what? The reason he was taken down is because of the Army McCarthy hearings in the spring of 1954, where he was exposed to the world on national TV as a demagogue and a really bad guy. And within a few months, he was censured by the Senate. And within three years, he was dead of alcoholism. And boom, he's gone. I think the American people hopefully are smart enough to regard uh, Donald Trump the the same way we regarded Joe McCarthy and just dismiss him to the dustbin of history. But like, what's the heel turn there? Was it just that that a bunch of people who are on the other side of the political spectrum from Joe just got together, made good, really good speeches during the Army McCarthy hearing? Like what changed the public's view of him? Because Joseph no matter Welch. what speeches are made by Democrats on the Senate floor uh, in the next you know, six months, no Trump well, supporters will be listening. Joseph Welch was a Boston lawyer who was hired to resist McCarthy in the Army McCarthy hearings. And he exposed McCarthy as a demagogue, as a guy who wanted to destroy people's lives. And everybody realized watching television, and television was fairly young at the point, but now everybody's focused on it. Everyone looked at him and said, this is a bad, hateful guy. We really don't like him. And he went overboard in terms of breaking the rules so much that his colleagues in the Senate actually censured him. Now, if America can turn and the Senate can turn on something like that, why couldn't they turn on somebody who incited a riot causing deaths well, look, I agree and, and exposed himself to be a complete mental patient with respect to his inability to concede an election? I mean, Americans not only hate bad losers, sore losers, they hate all the other things that Donald Trump has stood for. So I got to believe that we have a shot at doing this. And, I and don't. What, it, what, I, it, what it would involve is the Republicans recognizing that they made a Faustian bargain. Sure. They went along with Donald Trump in 2016, even though he did not represent what they have believed in for many, many Uh, generations. I actually do agree that. I I think that the mandatory element, the the necessary component of having this this turn in American politics where where we dump Trump um, and we we sort of return to an era of more normalcy where both sides are, are somewhat sane is the Republicans renouncing Trump. And if the Republicans don't renounce Trump and his crazy ideas, you're right uh, that, that we're in for uh, I, th- I think we agree that we're, we're in for dangerous times. I mean, that's the world we're currently living in. We're, we're currently living in the world where Josh Hawley and Ted Cruz and all these other crazy people keep signing up for Trump's idea that the election was fraudulent and rigged, even though it wasn't, and there's no evidence for it. And they stand up there and they make these big speeches in the Senate. And this whole process, it gives people the impression, the Trumpers, the impression that the political uh, power and will in the in the Republican Party is on their side so that they can do things like storm the Capitol without masks on. And, and the reason the Republicans should feel free to turn on Donald Trump Getting back to the, Teddy, fa- you listening? the Faustian bargain. He said analogy. your wife looked like a dog. Uh, the he said re- your dad killed JFK. Well, yeah, but he's got personal issues. Just in general, the reason Americans and Republicans in particular should feel free to turn their back on Donald Trump is because he doesn't believe any of the things that Republicans deeply believe in, individual freedom and small government and and the market system and so on. He only believes in Donald Trump Mm -hmm. and his narcissism and his uh, his glory. He has been a Democrat over the years. You know, the issue is about abortion. It doesn't matter. All that matters is that at the right moment in time, he is going to advance to the big job. And so by turning their back on him, it shouldn't bother him. I mean, to the uh, in terms of uh, the Faustian bargain, uh, damn Yankees, uh, yeah. the the movie where the senator's fan sells his soul to the devil to beat the damn Yankees. Yeah. Now the devil 
really came through for him. Ray Walston just came through for just Tab, it out Tab of the park, Hunter and the night. Yes, in the nineteen fifty nine, if I've got the year right, very impressive uh, uh, movie. Ray Walston he made sure that the Senators were were in a position to beat the Yankees for the for uh, the pennant. Did he do it because he really loved the Senators? No, he was just doing his job as the devil. Right. Does Donald Trump care about conservative values and no, judges? He's just the devil and low black unemployment and low regulations. No, he just wanted to get the. Now he got the job done. Yeah. He was as efficient as Ray Walston was. Uh, but you know the fact of the matter. Packed the courts and, with a bunch of conservative judges and and going Tax back to, cuts for back, going back to Joe McCarthy. If you read the books about Joe McCarthy, he didn't give a damn about anti-communism. Right. He actually was kind of soft on Russia in yeah. the '40s as a new politician. But he was casting about what issue can I get Hitch that my will make me to, famous? Yeah. And he mm-hmm. hitched his wagon to anti-communism. So I say Donald Trump is like Ray Walston yeah. and Joe McCarthy. Right. People should not hesitate to turn their back on him. He's a rabid dog. And we get Mitt Romney in there in 2024 to, to give a, a good mud wrestle to Joe Biden. Yeah, well, I think that would be a slam dunk win for, for Mitt Romney. So I'm sure the Republicans will be on board. Unless Joe Biden does a really great job and changes everybody's opinion of him as a boring milk toast uh, empty suit. <laughs> and everybody goes, hey, wow, actually, I like Joe. Now, has that happened to a first term president? Has their approval rating gone up uh, ever? Uh, I can't think of one. I think the Democrats' best chance is that uh, Joe says, you know what? My, uh, I had my four years. It's pretty good. I'm going to hand the reins off to uh, the next guy or gal uh, and, uh, I don't know, Amy Klobuchar or something. The reason I think Donald Trump fought so hard um, between November and now about the election is because he basically knows nothing about American government and American history and politics. And so he knows from his world of corporate infighting, the way you win is you keep fighting, you keep throwing bigger and uglier and meaner lawyers and lawsuits at the other side. And finally, the other side succumbs because of this exercise of power. And so that's how he saw the presidential election. It wasn't a loss that was irreversible. It it was just another corporate setback that he can turn around. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I, I think that's that's basically what motivated I got a question for you Mm -hmm. to put on our 2024 goggles uh, and start talking about it way too early for before Biden's even taken office how is it how is it gonna how's it gonna look when Kamala wants to be uh, president in 2024 and Joe also wants to run do they have to behind the scenes convince Joe to sort of step down? Would it be too damaging to the Democrats if Kamala sort of unhitches uh, her wagon from from Joe and says, actually, I'm just going to run against him because I think I'd be great uh, for the country in 2024. And Joe says, well, I'm going to take uh, uh, whoever else as my uh, new vice president. Uh, Joaquin Castro is my, my vice president now. And uh, and then they run against each other. Does that doom the Republic, the Democratic Party because it splits them too much? Well, first of all, I can't think maybe I'm just I don't overlooking. Think it's ever I was just going to say, I can't think of any time in American history where a vice president has said, uh, as the term goes along, <laughs> you know, sorry to give you the news, but I really think I could do better. So why don't you just step down? Now, I think people <laughs> are assuming that maybe because of uh, his age, yeah. uh, Joe Biden will uh, not be in a position. But, you know, he's looking pretty good. He's fine. Uh, sure. All of those. Oh, those wacky uh, sound bites that sounded, frankly, very much like he was on his way to the home and halfway demented right. that the Republican uh, uh, right wing talk show host played lovingly over and over. I mean, I always got a chuckle out of him uh, all summer long. And I'm now I'm thinking, where did they? What, was this fake, uh, deep fake stuff? Did they just patch uh, different sentences together? Biden has been sounding like that for twenty years. Ever, just, well, I mean, ever since the, the first just, debate, yeah. when Donald Trump barely get, let him get a word in edgewise, but whenever Biden spoke, he sounded fine. Yeah, and ever since then, he's sounded fine. I haven't heard, I haven't seen his foot in his mouth once. No, no. so I don't see any reason why they won't he, run He's going to deteriorate over the next four years. Yeah, and then Kamala can have it in twenty twenty eight. Well, uh, she's going to have to uh, fight. Uh, a lot of other folks in the Democratic Party, uh, maybe Nancy at age 90, uh, Nancy Pelosi. A great idea. We'll, we'll go for it. <laughs> a very last issue now. Yeah. Uh, do we think uh, Trump's going to pardon himself? I guess, why wouldn't he? Right. Well, I mean, why not, baby? Just do what, it. What's the downside? And then, of course, it'll be a fascinating issue for lawyers like us to be talking about yeah, you as know, the courts tackle the question, never before addressed by the U.S. Supreme Court, may a president pardon himself? And 
the 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 argument uh, against it is to say he might not do it is oh a pardon is an admission of guilt and he might not want to do that but come on first of he all he could live with that he doesn't care about the fact that it technically legally is an admission of guilt he's just going to not he's just going to go out there on on, on uh, uh, you know in a press conference Trump or whatever TV. he, he try, it's got to be Trump TV because he's not on Twitter anymore and say this is not an admission of guilt I'm just pardoning myself because the 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 Democrats are witch hunting me right so it. it they it won't actually stick the fact that it's an admission of guilt. And the other part is, what if he just preemptively pardons himself and says, I'm pardoned from all possible federal crimes that I might have committed. Theoretically, the Democrats say I did when I really didn't. What is he admitting to? He's not admitting to anything. Like the, the danger is, I guess, that then they bring a federal crime and they say that your pardon was too vague and it didn't count, didn't cover this specific federal crime. Okay, I hear you. We're going to put down Car- Connor in favor of Connor Donald Trump pardon. Of, I just think there's no way he doesn't do it. Like, can you imagine being Donald Trump being as self-centered and as egocentric and crazy as you are? And on the night before uh, you, you, Joe Biden takes the reins away from you and you no longer have the nuclear codes and you're no longer the most powerful person on the planet, you just say, you know, it wouldn't be right. It wouldn't be right to, to pardon myself. I'm just not going to do it because I, I don't think the people would like it. You know, people have <laughs> talked about the unusual option of arranging with Mike Pence. Okay, Mike, so you're going to pardon me on the morning of January 20th, right. so I'm going to uh, resign as of uh, noon on January 19th. Wouldn't it be funny if <laughs> if Trump uh, actually uh, did that, he right. resigned, and then Pence thinking to himself, Let's see. The president <laughs> kind of threw me under the bus that day of the riots. Uh, he didn't really give me Mike, a heads up that a, a, a violent- Mike, leaving you another message here. Uh, still haven't seen you pardon uh, me yet there on the TV. Um, you know, I thought I thought we were talking about you guys doing it at 10. Um, you know, just give me a call uh, and we'll talk about it. Yeah. Mike, I saw you left me on red there on my text message. Uh, I know you got the message. Hey, give me a call, Mike. And Mr. Former President, I'm, I'm sitting here organizing my MAGA cap collection. I, I don't know if I'm going to have time to get that Pardon out before noon. I don't know. I don't know, Donald. Uh, Donald, I think I think we're breaking up. The reception's bad. I think you're going you're through a going tunnel. You're going through a tunnel. <laughs> well, the, the tunnel of the future awaits us all, yeah. but thank goodness we've sorted everything out, answering what, 11 or 12 questions. Maybe our longest I'm, podcast ever. I'm proud of you. See you next time on Too Many Lawyers. <laughs>